It says he represents the Tanaka clan. You don't look like Tanaka. Shidoshi Tanaka trained me. What's the whole world? He says Senzo Tanaka is his Shidoshi. What's the difference if Bruce Springsteen is his Shidoshi? If Senzo Tanaka is his Shidoshi, then show us the Dimmak. What the hell is a Dimmak? Death touch. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you listen to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, E. Simon. And I'm the other host, Kate Rambo. Hello. It's cracking there, Kate Rambo. Um, I have watched 12 Jean-Claude Van Damme films in 10 days. <laughs> that's insanity. That really is insanity. But uh, that's, that's, it's, your, it's research. You're preparing for the... It was the, all uh, research, yes. It was tough, tough going, but anything for the pod, podcraft. Yeah, we, um, we're doing a bonus episode, um, The Overkill, on, uh, on Jean-Claude Van Damme. A lot of, you know what's uh, funny? There's a lot of myths about that guy. I'd actually seen a lot of the films before, so it wasn't like I was coming into them with fresh eyes. I was just like, I'm reliving precious childhood memories. I know some of them I'd, I'd prefer not to relive. Like, I don't know if anyone's seen Hard Target recently, but don't. Just don't bother. I, I'm going to give all my opinions about all his films. In the, Yeah, we're going to be talking about that. Um, so Kate Rambo, uh, we also actually uh, talked to Jojo Kelly on the second show. Um, that was so much A huge fun. Van Damme fan. Huge Van Damme fan. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, he came down this, this week to, uh, do some tattooing. And, uh, the other day we went to, um, the comedy store. We, uh, yeah, checked out the, uh, the roast battle with Jeff Ross with, uh, also my friend, uh, you. yeah, Danny and Lee. Uh, Danny's, Danny is a big comedy guy and I kind of hate stand up comedy, but every now and then. I'd be like, well, it's been a few years since I've been to the comedy store. Maybe, maybe I'll like, I'll give it a chance. And he convinced, he bought no. me a ticket to go go to it. And uh, oh god, I hate fucking comedy. I just hate no. it. You know, but the uh, the the roast battle, as far as comedy goes, is better than just going to a stand up comedy show. Just because it's like amateurs insulting each other and it's really racist, it's very offensive, instead of just some dumbass comedian doing his, you know, tight 10 or I whatever. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of into, like, just seeing a comedian who's sat home and thought of, like, witty jokes. Because to me, a roast battle is kind of like, it's very Shakespearean. It's very something like they would have done in Shakespeare's time, where it's like, we're not going to duel or kill each other, but I'm going to kill you with words. It's kind of the best of both worlds. I don't need worlds. to see that. No, it's, it's entertaining. I, w- I was like you until I saw it. The <laughs> thing is with me, yes, I can appreciate one or two comedians. I can't appreciate 15. And that's what you deal with. When you go to a comedy store, 15, 15 fucking idiots with their stupid, witty observations. No. It's like, I don't want to deal with that. Whereas at the roast battle, it's... There'll be like a comedian that kind of introduces it and there's like a host. And then uh, there's a bunch of judges and the judges are famous comedians like Jeff Ross, Roastmaster General. He was there. Uh, Bob Saget's daughter was there, which is odd, but I guess they did a big tribute to Bob Saget uh, the other day. So she was there. It was Polly Shore's birthday. So Polly Shore was there. He stopped by. 
Um, Ari Shafir. He's an Aquarian. That makes sense. Can I just say? Well, his mom, I think, uh, he probably owns that. Yeah, I think he probably, he owns the place because his mom started the comedy store. Um, Ari Shafir, I don't know if you know that guy. He's kind of a Joe Rogan comedian dick. But anyway, yeah. he's he can be kind of funny, but he was one of the judges and there are a couple other actors or actresses that I didn't recognize. And so what happens is these, you sign up and uh, you, then you insult each other and they prepare it. And it is kind of funny, especially when they bomb because they're not, these are, aren't, aren't professional comedians. Like some of them are just amateur people that want to do a roast. Or sometimes it could be just two friends that want to roast each other. And so anyway, some of them were good, some of them were cringy. And then afterwards, the judges just ripped them, up, ripped them to pieces. And then the audience votes as to who's You know who would have been one. good at that? Martin and Steele. Yeah, I'm surprised. They would probably be pretty good. Although, they can fall into inside jokes. That's the thing. When that, I kind of like that, though, with two friends. Yeah, That's but like when one you're... of the joys of From the Ville is like you become part of... It's alienating to towards an audience. Like if you have... Ah, uh, you've been Fuck listening the to the show for a long time. Well, that's, that's the whole point <laughs> of going on stage to do a fucking roast battle in a comedy club. You're supposed to be entertaining. So if you're telling a bunch of inside jokes, no one's going to get it. Whereas these people, actually, there were some pretty funny moments. There were some like other moments. But I was thinking the whole time, I was like, this is almost like... The blood sport of comedy. Oh, this is where it's going. <laughs> this is where it, it is. Okay. It's kind of like it's basically like the blood sport of comedy. Two people going up against each other, and you just have uh, you know your your jibes, your your witty remarks, and you play off each other too. Uh, is this your movie review of Eight Mile as well? I guess it it is kind of like Eight Mile. It's almost like a rap battle, but it's a comedy battle. It's, but rap, but that's that, the blood sport of rap. It's blood sport of rap. <laughs> Is a rap battle. It's the same thing, you know. And everybody has different styles. Like Bloodsport, how many different styles? Mixed martial oh. arts. Yeah, that's you know? one of the joys of the film Bloodsport. Is it's not just like one person battling in like the same style. It's like you guys can do anything. There's the guy with the monkey style. Remember the monkey guy? Is my favorite guy. Guys. Sumo guy. Sumo you know? guy. There's this like a big fucking sumo guy, and the, and the monkey guy, and then like the Harley Davidson biker dude. A Harley Davidson biker dude is one of my favorites. There's always got to be a biker dude in a fight, no matter where you are, and he's and he's just big and burly. And then the best, Bolo Young, who's like the biggest, most muscular, yeah. yoked out Asian guy that's ever existed in the history of yoked out Asian guys. I'm surprised um, he wasn't in Big Trouble in Little China. He was well, yeah. You know, I'm surprised he wasn't in that actually. There's a other famous Asian guys in that one. But anyway, we you know it was funny, just quick aside, as we were leaving uh the comedy store for the show in and we went to this uh there's a bar called the Naughty Pig, which is just a terrible sunset strip bar. It's right next to the body shop, which is a terrible sunset strip strip club, as you can imagine. And this is like a what, a fucking Wednesday night? And as we were we had a couple of drinks, and it's like, I don't know, like eleven thirty, twelve o'clock. We're leaving and we see a guy we used to work with come out by himself out of the body shop. Oh, on a Wednesday wow. night at like midnight. And you could tell like he saw us. Me and Danny both worked with this guy. He saw us and tried to like quickly walk or like walk around because he didn't want to get noticed. And we're like, I don't want to say his name, but we're just like, holy shit. Hey. Ralph, what are you yeah. doing? Are you were you in the body shop? And he's just like, uh yeah. I'm like, how was it? He's like, Well, I was the only person in there, but uh <laughs> and the guy, he was and he didn't want to talk about it, but I was like, Did you get a lap dance? It was just so funny because this dude, it was such a douche, such a douche that we used to work with. And he was like a, 
he was like kind of like a not an executive, but he was definitely like a senior manager. Why so, didn't he lie and say, yeah, it was my buddy's bachelor party. I thought it was a bit lame in there. I've just left. I think he was just embarrassed. He it was really weird. Yeah. I don't know. Didn't think fast on his feet enough. He's like, we ended up having a drink there. with him and asking him about it. But it was just it was just kind of funny because it's like it's like seeing your buddy walk out of like an adult bookstore, which doesn't really happen these days. No, are there even adult bookstores left anymore? I mean, I know there's pawn shops, but it's not the same, is it? I mean, there's a few. What uh, Fred Willard got caught at the one in uh, that's on Santa Monica. Like I thought Hollywood. that was a cinema. I thought he was jacking off in a cinema. It's a, like it's a, Herman. Well, that's what I'm saying. Adult bookstores. So most of them have like the peep show, like jack off booths in okay. the back, and that's I think over the, here we just have the books, the magazines. But that one, I think, I think the one that he was at. I think we had an actual theater. I think he was like watching a movie and wanking with a bunch of other dudes that were also wanking. Godspeed, Fred Willard. I love him. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with wanking in a wanking place like that. I don't know why. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's I never understood why you get busted for indecent exposure. It's just like, well, you're in a fucking room what? for wanking. What Everyone think, knows what, what else goes, goes on, on in there. Here? It's not indecent when you're all fucking doing it. Exactly. You're not in like a fucking Kmart. You're not at a preschool. You know, Is that what like, you do? Y'all want? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that <laughs> you should be charged with a crime for doing that there, but yeah. in like you know, the back of the adult bookstore, it's like why not? It's, it's expected, isn't it? Come on, it's what happens. Um, Danny claims to have seen every Van Damme movie, fifty-eight films. He's he has not seen fifty-eight Van Damme films. Fifty-eight films. The liar. He's a liar. But you know what? He was he was one of the only people in our in our group here who uh, knew the name of Frank Dukes. Because no, no one else had really even heard of that guy. Like, other people are like, oh, who's that? And I'm like, that's who Van Damme played in Bloodsport. Yeah, I didn't know he was a real guy. Yeah, it's based on, if you watched the movie, I don't know the last time you saw it, but did you watch that one in, in preparation for your research, uh, or did you watch other ones? I actually ones? watched it around Christmas time. So I don't need to watch. I watch Bloodsport is on one of those films where it's like I'll watch Roadhouse every couple of months. I'll just watch Roadhouse every couple of months. I'll watch Showgirls every couple of months. I watch Bloodsport and like Bill and Ted. It's just on a heavy rotation where I will spend the rest of my life watching this picture. Yeah, Bloodsport's a classic Van Damme film. Probably the most obviously the most famous one. Although he his career kind of was launched from that movie. It you know totally I mean? was. Yeah, and it, it's a great movie. It's it, it's one of my favorite '80s movies. I remember we had I had it on like VHS. Used to watch it all the time. There's I used to great, watch it on my Betamax. Yeah, no, it's like it's a great movie. Get you all pumped up. That was one of those movies at the time. They're all like, those like '80s martial arts movies that like dudes would go see and come out of the theater like ready to fight. Like all it's like the up. Eddie Murphy joke, the uh, the Rocky when Italian dudes come yeah. out and they're like, "All right, Rocco, it's just Rocky. Like, I'm ready to fight." <laughs> And it's just like, yeah, do the splits. Because every movie Van Damme did the splits. Um, but if you watch Bloodsport, you'll see it's, it's supposedly based on the true story of Frank Dukes. Frank Dukes, legend, ultimate badass. I don't know if you can become more, I don't know if you can be more of a badass than, uh, than Frank Dukes. I think by the end of this episode, even I could be up Frank Dukes. I don't know, self-proclaimed martial arts legend. Emphasis on self-proclaimed. So uh, let's talk about Frank Dukes here. So when uh, you know when the movie came out, the Bloodsport was what eighty-eight, nineteen eighty-eight, I think. Oh, um, way earlier, eighty-two. No, Bloodsport was late eighties. 
Oh, is it like yeah, I'm thinking of YouTube for some And so when it came out, you know, people had never even heard of it or what it was about. You just saw that it kind of aired like there's like an air of legitimacy about Bloodsport because it was based on the true story of Frank Dukes, who no one even really knew who that was either. And so, you know, uh, Bloodsport became a, a cult classic, you know, one of the most famous martial arts films. And it, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme blew up, came to America and started making... Uh, you know, all the, uh, the other movies that he made in the 90s. Lots that of we're going to talk about. Yeah, we're going to be talking about on, uh, on Overkill. But allegedly, the movie tells a true story of Frank Dukes, who is a martial arts expert who claimed that he participated in a secret, underground secret fighting tournament called the Kumite. Kumite. Kumite, Kumite. yeah. Kumite. Um, so that's, so Frank, Frank Dukes sold his li- true life story to the screenwriter of Bloodsport. Like in a bar somewhere. It's just like in a, they met in a Wendy's. He was like, have I got the story for you? Well, the, the guy's life is just unbelievable. And he wrote a memoir about himself, The Secret Man, an, America's, an American Warrior's Uncensored Story. John Steele owns this book. Probably, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so Frank Dukes claimed that when he was a teenager, age of 16, traveled to Japan, stunned their warrior class with his skills. Then he enlisted in the Marine Corps, competed in a secret martial arts tournament called the Kumite, which was held in the Bahamas in 1975. Then he returned to the U.S. and spent the next six years on secret missions across Southeast Asia for the CIA. And then everybody clapped. Well, the only uh, issue with this is uh, there's no evidence at all. To corroborate any of his of any of his stories, <laughs> so let's let's start let's start at the beginning here. So Frank Dukes, Frank William Dukes, was born April sixth, nineteen fifty six, in Toronto, Canada. Um, but his family, yeah, his family moved to California, um, San Fernando Valley, uh, and when he was seven, um, he claimed in his memoir that he was a joke when he went to Ulysses S. Grant High School in San Fernando Valley, until. He started studying ninjutsu under uh, Master Senzo Tiger Tanaka. Tiger Tanaka. Yeah, Tiger Tanaka here bought him to Japan for ninja training. Because of his exceptional skills, you know, he he impressed all of the the, the warriors in Japan. And so that's why Tanaka was like, I'm going to bring you to Masuda, Japan, and train you as a ninja. This is like the Kill Bill origin story. Also, is this what happened to you? And this is how you became so good at um, the art of nunchucker. I did Taekwondo for many years. But you also never got sent inspired, to a secret base. Inspired by Bloodsport, obviously. Cause at that, and, and I was really into Bruce Lee at the time, too. Like, whatever kid, what a kid wasn't. All, all boys go through a Bruce Lee phase where they just like want to emulate him. Well, I think uh, people my age that uh, are listening to the show will, will remember in the, that period of the 80s, everyone had a boner for ninjas and martial arts. It was like such a, th- a thing. Like there are all those ninjas, like American Ninja and all those like canon films of ninjas. And so martial arts was, was having like this kind of renaissance in the late 80s. And they just were like churning out all these martial arts films. Bruce Lee was a little bit earlier. He was like, what, like 70s? Yeah, um, Enter 60s. the Dragon was 77, wasn't it? Yeah, but, that, but the martial arts films of the 80s were kind of like Bloodsport, where like a montage, 
And uh, there was like, you know, a lot of ninja films that came out then. And I was so into it. I made my own nunchucks. And my mom was, and what was crazy is my mom was just like, I'll buy you ninja stars. And she bought me like all the weapons, like real weapons when I was like, I don't know, eight. And you're just out chucking them at your brother. <laughs> chucking your sister. them, yeah. <laughs> chucking them at my sister and like in the tree, you know. And then uh, I even had the ninja, you ever see those ninja claws? Oh, yeah, that's like, cool. Yeah, they're not real ripped the fuck out of the back of my hands, just like tore up the skin in the back of my hands trying to climb a tree. I guess the um, sport for my generation would def- was definitely skateboarding. Throughout the oh, 90s. yeah, the 90s for the sure. Skateboarding. Well, yeah, we skateboarded. Skateboarding was big in the, in the 80s too, but yeah, in the 90s, skateboarding became huge. Yeah. Then, for sure. So anyway, um, Frank's outstanding abilities shocked and pleased the ninja community. All right. And so he tested <laughs> and became a full-fledged ninja. It was at that point, he was like, you know what? I'm a ninja. I'm going to go back to America. And so in 1975, he enlisted in the Marine Corps. And it was there because he was being, he was trained. And, you know, the Marines obviously knew he was trained by Tiger Tanaka. They're like, we're going to have you compete for America in a 60-round Kumite championship in Nasa, Bahamas. All right? So the Marines have got something to do with this secret Kumite group somehow. I think they knew about it and they were sending him in because he's top secret and he's an operative and he's a ninja. All right. How many As guys Marines, no. are trained, like an ex- trained by, by a descendant of, uh, from feudal Japan in ninjutsu? Tiger Tanaka was a descendant of 40 generations of ninja warriors. Imagine if you didn't want to be a ninja and your dad was like, you are the 36 ninja, you have to be a ninja. And you're like, dad, I just want to be an accountant. Like, I just, I just don't want to do this, dad. Dad, He's I like, want to no, go to clown school. Well, that's yeah, kinda... what if you were to go to clown school? And your dad well, was what... like, you have to be a ninja. And that's what happened to me. The rabbi was like, I want you to be a rabbi. And I was like, but I want to be a clown on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he was so disappointed. Until he heard it, and then he was like, wow, you're really good at this. I like your little radio <laughs> show, David, your little radio. So um, the Kumite is a top-secret event, single elimination tournament, featuring martial artists from around the world, warriors from around the world with different styles, and it's held every five years. And uh, the story of the Kumite was first covered in a November 1980 issue of Black Belt Magazine. I used to have a subscription to Black Belt Magazine. So would you have read this article? Oh, no, you'd have been I, too young. Not, not at this point. Not at this point. But I did have it in like the, I definitely had a subscription in like 1989. It'd be cool to get a hold of that magazine. Well, Frank, you know, I do actually, I found a PDF version of this article. I read it. And it, it's really funny. Just to, I, I recommend it. I'm going to highlight some, some, uh, some, some points that I took out of it. But I, Duke says he was the first person to be given permission to speak publicly about the event and was the first Westerner ever to win the tournament. He achieved several world records there, including the most consecutive knockouts, 56, and the fastest knockout of all time, 0.12 seconds. That's a lie. <laughs> only, I think only Bruce Lee could have done that. This man is not Bruce Lee. Well, so he returned. He went won the tournament, got this like ceremonial sword. He's like, you know, I'm going to go back to the States now. Ultimate badass of the world. <laughs> and uh, that's when the Marine Corps was like, you know what? We're going to put you in contact with CIA. Uh, they have some covert missions for you to go destroy a Nicaraguan fuel depot and an Iraqi chemical weapons plant. 
Because... What is this? Like, Commando? <laughs> is he Arnie in Commando? He's a, he is a death machine, Frank Dukes. And so then he, uh, because he went over there and, and single-handedly destroyed the Iraqi chemical uh, weapons plant, he, uh, he earned a Medal of Honor. A Medal of Honor that no one's ever seen, and there's no record of the ceremony taking place because it was held in secret because he was a he secret also didn't operative. do a very good job because they they had a fuck ton of chemicals all throughout the 90s so well done frank for nothing <laughs> um so after that he kind of left that life behind you know the black ops life behind to teach uh, ninjutsu in the san fernando valley but you know his uh his his legacy remained in like you know magazines like black belt and then uh screenwriter sheldon Ledich. um you know, uh, worked with him and uh, and and basically immortalized him on the silver screen with Bloodsport. You know who he's really giving, reminding me of? He's reminding me of the karate guy in Napoleon Dynamite. You know who I mean? <laughs> Rex Kwando. Yeah, Rex Kwando. <laughs> he is Rex Kwando pretty much. <laughs> yeah. He probably wore the same pants. Those like I power lifter wrestler guy pants. Um. So you seem like you're doubting some of the uh, authenticity of the story there, Kate Rambo. This is all seeming very like a simp boy on Reddit right now who's never <laughs> had sex, but he's just <laughs> trying to tell you how great his life is. Well, people that actually did know Frank Dukes tell a completely different story than uh, than what's in his memoir. I bet they do. Are they like me? <laughs> There's a lot of holes in the uh, history of Frank Dukes. So... Especially after, um, you know, the internet age, people were able to uh, research the guy and uh, find information. And he's not the most credible um, storyteller. <laughs> he's not the, the most credible storyteller. Uh, his military record showed he never actually left San Diego. His only injury was he fell off a truck. And uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. And the, the medals that he had um, were mismatched non-Marine Corps ribbons that he probably bought at a Goodwill or a thrift like store. The ones I own. Yeah. And contrary to his claims, um, they and people did, I mean, reporters did research the guy. And through the Freedom of Information Act, they showed that he never served overseas. He never got any kind of Medal of Honor for heroism or any other reason. Never received any military rewards. In fact, in January 1978, he was referred for psychiatric evaluation after he expressed flighty and disconnected ideas. You, yeah, you don't say. This seems like a very creative <laughs> man. Uh, Pathological childlike. liar. Well, being very childlike is a wonderful trait of the Aries. <laughs> I feel like Frank has still kept hold of that. Well, one claim uh, that definitely, I guess, uh, is evidence of his flighty and disconnected ideas, he claimed that CIA director William Casey had sent Dukes on these missions, instructing the ninja from the secret confines of a men's restroom. <laughs> <laughs> so I would, would love it if Frank was writing a series of James Bond ninja-esque books, because all of these could be films. Yeah, probably. Well, I just love how he's just like, meets you know, Casey in secrecy in a men's restroom. That's like, a bit soft. <laughs> yeah, is there a hole that he has to like stick something through <laughs> in order to communicate with him? That's where the secret <laughs> messages come from. He's like, all right, I'm going to tell you this, but this message is going to self-destruct after you suck my dick. <laughs> it's just like you have the message to. message is going to come from my dick and you have to receive it into your mouth. <laughs> you know, you have to suck my dick for the United States military, okay? 
Top secret. Um, Dukes, however, states that the military sabotaged his service records to discredit him. So yes, because the military does that. Yeah, they the they I did bet. a hit on him, and they're discrediting him just to damage his reputation. Uh, there is a photo of uh, Frank Dukes in a military uniform, purportedly showing service ribbons. However, the ribbons are in a completely incorrect order. And the Medal of Honor that he's wearing in this photo, I'll post a photo to the website, um, is a version that would be given to like someone in the United States Army, not the Marines Corps. So it's okay. not the Marine Corps. It's Yeah, it's not even the right Medal of Honor. Um, there is an LA Times article, which I looked for but I couldn't find, uh, by a reporter named John Johnson, who uh, questioned Dukes about it. And I was asking him, well, why would you get a medal from the wrong service? And so later, Frank Dukes was like, oh, okay, well, the uniform is just a Halloween costume. So what? He'd never actually served. But he has served. <laughs> well, no, he served, but I think the, he just got a Halloween costume and decorated with fake ribbons for this Oh, picture. my goodness. You'd at least go to a, like, a militia star and pick up some like of-the-era medals, wouldn't you? Or just some, like or, drop a couple of hundred books can, on that's them. That's the thing. You can go to like, yeah, I mean, there's like army you know, surplus stores. I mean, you can find something that's somewhat legitimate. You could probably get something off of eBay. But well, this is this is back in the this day. This is pre-eBay, but I mean, wouldn't you yeah, just like yeah, go to day. a jeweler's? Um, the same journalist found that uh, the Kumite trophy that Dukes oh. proudly displayed was made in a local shop in the San Fernando Valley. Also fraudulent. You know what I want? I want to have um, a diorama of like on a shelf. I'm going to create like a little diorama like I've been in Bloodspot and I'm going to get some Kumite trophies and make it look like I've won 15 years in a row. It's about as legitimate as Frank's. Yeah, why not? It'd be a great talking point when people come over. Like, yeah, that's when I won the Kumite. Don't you know about me? So, Kate Rambo, what about Grandmaster Ninja Tiger Tanaka? Couldn't he verify Frank's claims? You'd think so. He's his mentor. Well, Tanaka died July 30th, 1975. He was buried in California in a secret location by a secret clan of ninjas. So Okay, right. <laughs> now, the state of California lists no deaths under the Tanaka name in the 1970s. Uh, Dukes pointed to a conspiracy of silence involving his work with the CIA and ninjas. You know, and because of this, there's no way to really even prove that Tanaka even existed because it's Shaolin man secrecy. ninjas they're just so secretive why are they so secretive another ninja master Shota Tanemura said there is no Mr. Tanaka in any Japanese history there's a lot of crazy guys that claim to be ninja masters and in fact the only evidence for any kind of fighter named Senzo Tanaka comes from Ian Fleming's James Bond novel You Only Live Twice where there's a ninja hey! commander named that <laughs> I knew there was some uh, some whiffs of James Bond out there. Um, so Frank Dukes claims that uh, Tanaka's dying wish was that he would compete in the Kumite. So I don't know. Dukes also said when people when uh, John Johnson, the reporter, brought up, well, "What about you only live twice?" Ian Fleming. He goes, "Well, Fleming used to base his characters on real people." That's kind of true, though. That is true. He would, like, loosely base them on real people, but he would always change the names. Well, so, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I think the whole thing is uh, is fictitious. I don't think any of it's real. Um, as for the Kumite, that's something that I was like, 
interested in researching. And in fact, I think I found some other potential topics for later shows. But the Kumite, there was something. The Kumite actually exists. Kumite kind of refers to sparring. And in fact, the Kumite is kind of, typically it's like sparring like 50 people at once. It's not just like... It's it's like a royal rumble. Yeah, it's not depicted. That's what it is today. And it's not depicted as a... is how it is in like a single round in elimination like it is in blood sport it's it's definitely different however you never know i mean there could have been a tournament that he fought in that was more like how he described it i'm thinking no (laughs) i'm thinking thinking it's all fabricated but i looked into it and i did find a history kind of based on a group a terrorist organization from japan that actually started something that resembles a kumite so fight club a Japanese yeah, more or less. Uh, early 20th century, 1901, a uh, fearsome group uh, uh, adopted the name Kokuri Yukai, which translates into Black Dragon Society, which this like totally it. sounds like something out of like, uh, you know, a Marvel Comics movie or something. Um, the group did exist, and it was an ultra-nationalist right-wing um, terrorist organization, like paramilitary group that operated training centers in martial arts. And it had like agents that gathered intelligence about political and social activities in Russia, Manchuria, uh, Korea, and China. So this is during the time when uh, you know Japan was fighting Russia and definitely fighting China, um, attacking Korea. They subverted, sabotaged, and committed acts of terrible violence at the time. And they played a sinister role in the Russian-Japanese War, in the annexation of Korea, and in the Siberian intervention. Uh, the Imperial Japanese Navy actually used the network Kokuri Yukai for sabotage and murder operations. So, Good for them. Yeah, I mean... Lethal. I, Lethal weapons, mate. You can look it up. It, this was a true paramilitary organization at the, at the time. Sounds interesting. Um, it is said that the Black Dragon Society sponsored a no-holds-barred martial art match, like tournament, and had judo clubs and military installations, like in the area. Uh, these matches were called kumite, which is a Jap- Japanese, you know, uh, combat basically refers to a Japanese combat name uh, with hands, I guess. It's like a, two Japanese symbols. I hope um, they sang the song. It would be useless. Kumite? Just, every time you keep saying Kumite in the back of my head, I'm just like, Kumite. 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 <laughs> um, the name changed according to region. In Brazil, the matches were called Valle Tudo. In Taiwan, Sandan. And in regions of mainland China, San Sao. So San there were different battles that happened in that area, even as far as like uh, Brazil. So now the Black Dragon Society officially dissolved in 1946 by order of the American occupational authorities. However, they had like spread into other countries at the time. Um, and they were partially rebuilt under the name Black Dragon Club Kokuri, Ko, I can't pronounce these, Kokuriu Karabu with about 150 active members. Now, this was probably like 19, yeah, 1946, 1961. And then Chicago, 1969, another person from the karate world emerged named John Keehan. They called Count Rafael Dante, Count Dante. This guy oh, wow. is kind of like, this guy is like the predecessor of Frank Dukes. I think Count we should. Dante, what an awesome name. That's so goth, isn't it? We might have to do another uh, show on this uh, Count Dante. Well, he I found already his, fancy him. He founded his own version of the Black Dragons, called it the Black Dragon Fighting Society. And he was a member of the U.S. Navy Reserves, longtime student of the martial arts, um, also studied under Tiger Tanaka. 
So maybe so Tiger Sonaka was real or Count uh, Count um, Dante is fake too? I would say the latter. <laughs> it's it's hard thinking. to find which is the fabrics <laughs> in this. Now, I want Count Dante to be real. Well, I think people wanted to believe it. And I think like Black Belt Magazine kind of gave them this legitimacy by writing articles about them. But, but this was before, you know, before uh, Frank Dukes. This is the 60s. And apparently... Uh, there was a guy, Count, Count Dante did exist, and he was a, uh, a karate teacher in, uh, in Chicago during that time. But he claims that his student, Ray Cooper, was cheated out of a, um, a uh, world championship. I guess he was, he was a director of a Midwest chapter of the United States Karate Association, the USKA, and they would have competitions. And his student was cheated out of competing because he was not allowed to, um, to stay at a whites-only hotel. At the time. Okay. Yeah. And so, so he, he was grew, angry. He grew upset because he's being threatened over his teaching of the black community in Chicago. Um, and so he decided, I'm going to post a challenge to the martial arts community. I will fight anyone to the death. And that's when he founded the Black Dragon Fighting Society. Kunate. And so, Kunate. Yeah. so, inspired by the original Black Dragon Society, and with the support and personal teaching of Senzo the Tiger Tanaka, um, who was a great champion of the Kumite, the ancient Kumites, uh, he started his own Kumite, the first Kumite of mixed martial arts at the University of Chicago, July 28th, 1963. So it was around this time, I guess, you know, a few years later. So he had started these tournaments in uh, Chicago and fought these tournaments and he, under his Black Dragon Fighting Society. That's what, but I don't, they, I don't think they were like the traditional blood sport, you know, that's depicted in the film. You know, I think these are like more sanctioned. They're actual referees and things like that. Um, but in May 1975, Count Dante died inexplicably. Oh, in I mysterious mean, circumstances. If you looked at the advertisements in the back of Marvel Comics in the 1970s, you'd have seen his ads because he sold a lot of books uh, that were describing his techniques. They, it, John Keehan, Count Dante, claimed that he was the deadliest man alive. Why are well, men like this? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta prove yourself. It's my cheesy mo. Well, shortly after uh, um, he died, well, guess who came on the scene? Frankie. Would have been the, cooler if Frankie had said that he'd killed him with his not point two knockout. <laughs> his point that would have been way cooler, knockout. Frankie. Why didn't you do it? <laughs> well, Frank Dukes, probably the most, I, now that Count Dante's dead, he's the deadliest he. man alive. I mean, Ninja Warrior. Um, when in his interview with Black Belt Magazine, 1980, um, he, was, he started talking about the Kumite. He said, every five years, the International Fighting Arts Association, which is a group linked through Tiger Tanaka and other indi individuals with the Japanese Black Dragon Society, conduct a private tournament called the Kumite, somewhere in the world. Could be anywhere. Could be in Asia. Could be in Latin America. Could be anywhere in the world. And experts compete using different martial arts, fighting each other in an almost no rules, no pulled punches format. And then a champion emerges after three days of continuous fighting and then is in, wins the Kumite. And you so, just get a little lousy trophy that you can bring home. And wow. a sword, ceremonial sword. And a sword. Um, there is an unwritten code of ethics, though, for the Kumite. Like, you're not supposed to attack the throat directly or other areas that would be lethal. It's forbidden to bite or puncture the eyes. 
So there what are some about rules. grind kicks? Come on, grind kicks. Well, you got you got like this like metal cup that you would wear. So, yeah, but come on, grind kicks. No, nah, I kick imagine with her. It didn't didn't Bolo Young like throw like some kind of like like chalk or dust or something into that blinded. Um, yeah, you Frank. can do all types of stuff like that, but then that's going for the eyes. Oh, that's cheating. Isn't it? Yeah, that's cheating. So the Kumite that uh, Frank Dukes was in was in Nassau, Bahamas, November 1975. And uh, that's where he became the champion and then set several records. You know, several records that I'll get into. And he said the only reason he's even allowed to talk about it is because the IFF or the IFFA authorized him to speak in the media. So no one else was allowed to talk about the no Kumite until you, Frank. He's the but only But they Westerner. were like, this guy is a great spokesperson for this fake Kumite. Let's put out Frankie. He's the, the only press. only uh, Westerner that's ever won this 60-round single elimination tournament. He said it's a round-robin style tournament where you're matched up to fight one-to-one. There's no weight classes or anything. There's no, like, they're not, they're not matching you up based on your dick. They're not ma- either. So you're just matched up. There's a, a central judge and no other protective equipment other than a shell specially designed for the genitals and a mouth guard. And so, this is like wrestling, but not as fun. I don't know. I mean, you uh, fight. You don't fight to the death. You fight till you surrender. So it's three days, 20 bouts per day, average duration of 18 to 30 seconds per fight. Combatants would either lose by knockout or surrender by saying the word mate means I surrender in Japanese. Remember that at the end of it? Yeah. He makes Bolo Young say mate. Um, and so the kumite here, uh, usually most fighters, this is Frank was saying that uh, combatants lose either by being knocked off the platform because you can get knocked off the platform and lose as well um, or determined to unable to be, to continue or maintain a guard. So if you're knocked out or if you tap out, uh, then you lose. Now the central judge here can stop the fight if there's an undeniable superiority of one of the contestants or any kind of misconduct on any of the contestants as well. And this is another odd thing about Frank's description of the Kumite is the fighting surface of the stage changes in each tournament to force the contestants to adapt their bodies and strategy according to the area. So it might be a circular platform, rectangular, narrow, conical. It could be in mud or on a roof or the system that makes the surface move according to the weight and location of the fighters. You know, this is really reminding me of. Remember in the 90s, there was the television show Gladiators. Yeah, yeah. With us. Isn't zap. this just Gladiators? I mean, kind of. Were you on, with Gladiators, though, weren't you competing in like, like uh, weren't there like stun? Did they have like the cannons and stuff like that? This is like just fighting. Well, I mean, yeah, there was the Gladiators, wasn't there? Over here, we had Wolf, Lightning, Jet. But and then you'd just be the regular Joe going up against them. You got to cross the travelator to win. Like, did you win like a, a grand or something? Yeah, it wasn't even that much money. I think it was like ten grand. Uh, but you're winning to be because you can be like, I am the ultimate gladiator. I want to try to. I should try to track down some of those gladiators. We used to love that. They show, show them then. on British telly all the time. Like, I would. I still get stoned and watch them every so often because our announcer was a Scottish guy. He's very iconic. I won't do his voice because everyone at home is doing it. I don't need to do I'm it. I'm surprised they never brought that show back. I just don't it's think weird. it would be the same, especially not over here. 
I think they did try and bring him back, actually. Oh, did they? And then just over here, they might have done. It was such big news. Like people, it was held in like Birmingham Arena. People would go and come. Like you'd bring like fifty people with you. I would never do it. So Frank Dukes retired undefeated as the world heavyweight full contact kumite champion, and he well, still so did holds. I, Frank. He still holds four world records: fastest knockout. Um, 3.2 seconds, fastest punch with a knockout, 0.12 seconds, fastest kick with a knockout, 72 miles per hour. It's a fast kick. And the most consecutive knockouts in a single tournament, 56. Unparalleled. No. How, who else can even match that much of a badass? Well, now, actually, Jean-Claude Van Damme can in his competitive karate career. I don't think he had four world records. I don't think he had world records, he didn't but compete he definitely in a real had um, an Kumite. undefeated uh, championship. I mean, well, the thing is, the only person that could really verify any of these records is guess who? Tanaka. No, Frank Dukes. He's the only oh, person <laughs> who can verify his impressive record. Now, this is a fun fact about Frank Dukes I read. Um, Frank Dukes has a genetic condition. He was born with his legs turned inside out. It's called pigeon legs. So he was born with pigeon legs. So he's a leg mental. Oh my God. This is why he's lying about being the world's best kicker. Because like he definitely, can you imagine him in school, in primary school? He would have got the piss ripped out of him for his stupid legs. Until he became a ninja. But his legs were corrected. And that's why he's dreaming of being a ninja. Because he has pigeon feet. Well, his legs were corrected with brackets, turning them into a normal position. But by doing so, the fibers of his ligaments maintain an abnormal tension which allows him to throw roundhouses and other kicks with unbridled speed and accuracy, K. Rambo. I am calling complete and utter <laughs> medical fabrics on that. It's not true at all, Frank. Frank says, as a boy and a youngster, he was lacking in rhythm, which made him the object of cruel teasing, as you just said. Totally. Um, but nevertheless, that was a blessing in fighting because my broken rhythm or total absence of it made my movements not predictable at all when it comes to fighting. So take that, add in his military training, his unconventional domination of ninjutsu, badass, difficult opponent to read. How do you fight someone like that? I would fight this man every year at Thanksgiving. I would fight this man every year at Christmas just to prove a point if I was in his family. Not only that, on his own, Frank deduced the secret of the famous Dim Mach, the blow of death. And he <laughs> would show <laughs> he would show on several occasions to uh he would demonstrate how he could break a brick from a stack of four. He could just he'd leave the other three intact, which I believe they did this in the movie. He would yeah, leave the other did. three intact and he would break the one on the bottom. Because he knows the dim mock. He mastered it. The other example is nineteen eighty eight. Uh he had um this journalist from Black Belt Magazine bandage his eyes and then already blindfolded. Um, and as he was blindfolded, he assigned a number of volunteers who surrounded him, 10 to 12. And one by one, they fought him. He cornered each one of them, placing his famous kicks millimeters away from their heads, speaking out loud the number by which he identified every one of them. Badass. Colin Fabrics on that. <laughs> That's some great journalism. <laughs> Whoever did that. What's funny is the uh, production company, along with the screenwriter of Bloodsport, said, yeah, you know, we weren't really able to verify the facts of the film. We just kind of took Frank on his word. Yeah, no shit. 
Yeah, um, I think they were just like, this story is fucking amazing. We're going to make so much money off this. The author of the original 1980 Black Belt article on Frank Dukes um, that first described Dukes' alleged Kumite victory, he expressed regret for writing the article and described <laughs> himself as naive for ever believing Dukes and uh, saying that after the story was published, he received information that raised a lot of questions about Dukes' military career. Um, yeah. In 1988, Jim Coleman, another editor of Black Belt Magazine, said that Dukes' story was based on false premises, and they said they could find any evidence of any kind of Kumite competition. And he made a similar statement again in uh, 1996. Uh, Ken Wilson from the Ministry of Sports in the Bahamas said, there's no way you could have a martial arts tournament of that scale and keep it completely secret. The word would have gotten out. People would have known. Yeah, the locals would have been there watching and betting. Or would someone have. would have known. Someone would have covered it. It's 1975. It's not like... I could see maybe 1918. Wasn't that, that when the Rolling Stones were big into recording out in like the Caribbean and the Bahamas? Would they have not been there with their, their cameras and their maybe, drugs? Maybe, pictures? maybe Keith Richards fought in the Kumite. He is actually, I think, a real winner of the Kumite <laughs> that is called Life. Um, John Johnson, the guy that wrote the uh, LA Times article, said that there was an invoice for the organization that allegedly staged the Kumite, listed Dukes as its only point of contact. So Dukes had the invoice from the tournament, but he was the only contact on the invoice. And no one else. And we already mentioned that the base of the trophy that he claims to have got from the Kumite was purchased at a local trophy store in the San Fernando Valley. I really want my own <laughs> Kumite trophy. Um, there was a, Frank Dukes ended up suing Soldier of Fortune magazine, you could tell that this was one of those like inveterate virgins that just never got laid, that just like made tall stories up to try to impress people. Kind of like Boner so Villain. Reddit. Kind of like Boner Villain, though. This is like Boner Villain on Reddit trying to tell people that he doesn't live in his mom's basement and that, he, yes, I have had sex because I may have had bad legs once, but now I can kick people till they die. I mean, Boner Villain basically is Frank Dukes. But with his guns and his houses. With less personality, I would say. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, during this trial, because Frank Duke sued Soldier Fortune magazine for libel, um, the, uh, uh, the reporter presented a photocopy of the receipt, which proved that Dukes had purchased the Kumite trophy from the, uh, the, the trophy store, though the judge refused to allow it as evidence, noting several discrepancies, such as the date on the receipt. Um, which was after Dukes was photographed with the trophy. So to provide more evidence, Frank Dukes told Johnson, the reporter, to speak to a man named Richard Robinson. He said, um, Frank, Frank said he met Richard Robinson at the Kumite. I think Richard Robinson is supposed to be the biker guy. Oh, looking cool. At pictures. This is a, yeah, I wonder what um, clip now, he wrote with. Initially, Robinson confirmed Dukes' story, saying he was invited to the Kumite as he was an undefeated wrestler at a high school. So that's why he was invited because he was a badass wrestler. Johnson later uncovered that Robinson had never attended this high school that he claimed <laughs> to have won the championship at. And he actually had gone to school with Frank Dukes. And <laughs> oh so my when God, he, the best bud. When this he confronted, is Martin and Steel. <laughs> when he was confronted with the information, Robinson said, all right, I don't know what to say. Frank was just a buddy of mine when I was in Los Angeles. That's so funny. <laughs> he, like, he like coached him. To talk about it. 
to go like to commit perjury also as a side note i've always like it's very boring being in court i don't know how lawyers do it all the time like to be on a jury i just think would be the most boring thing in the world but i would love to be part of a jury where something breaks like that where everyone goes oh my god and then you see like the defendant starts sweating bullets where he's like no no it's like you're guilty that would be like it's just funny when you have like your your professional witness there to corroborate your story. And the guy's like, I, do we smoke weed together? We're buds. He just told me <laughs> yeah. to say that. But he, he also got another. I owed him. Well, what was funny too is Sheldon Latich, who wrote the, uh, who's a screenwriter for Bloodsport, said he got the idea after reading about Dukes' tall tales regarding the Kumite. So he must have read it in Blackmail Magazine. That's what got him, got him the idea. Dukes introduced him to a man named Richard Bender who claimed to have been at the Kumite and verified his story completely. Wait, D. Bender. He he introduced him to a man (laughs) called Dick Bender. Yeah, and they met in the same restroom where he got his CIA (laughs) missions. I don't know if you know this, but... (laughs) This is a busy restroom. And so at first he... He verified the story, but then a few years later, Bender confessed that he had been lying and that Dukes instructed him completely on what to say about the tournament. Oh and my he God, called all Dukes, these dicks that Frank can like, convince to do stuff for him. He called Dukes a delusional daydreamer. <laughs> and so the uh, MMA website Fightland says Dukes is uh, listed as a martial arts fraud. And oh. the reporter... John Johnson and Fightland believed Dukes faked his story to help promote his martial arts schools. So this whole thing with the Kumite and all that was just an advertising publicity stunt. Because he had, because that's the thing. When, uh, when Bloodsport came out, he was operating two martial arts schools in Woodland Hills in North Hollywood, teaching his own style, Dukes Ryu Ninjutsu. He's basically Rex Kwando. He is Rex Kondo. You know, if he'd have just rolled with the publicity, he could have made so much money. You know, he probably could have, but I think he was just, I think he was trying to claim that this is real. Like, this is like, he, this, this was his past. Like, he's this much of a badass. I think he was so wrapped up in the lies at this point. He was just trying to he like, believe them. Yeah. He, happens, I, I think he was just, a lot of people say it's a technique of lying. If you truly believe the bullshit that's coming out of your mouth, it's hard to prove that you're lying. Yeah, and I you think know? it come it does come full circle though with um like the patho- pathological liars that they do convince themselves that it is actually real. Well, that's the thing. Every reporter that questioned the authenticity of his claims, Dukes would counter with charges of fakery by ex- by because he would claim that they were exploiting his lack of uh the he would when they would bring up the lack of evidence, he would then spin it into an even greater fabrication like an even more unbelievable story that was so unbelievable that they're like well maybe this is true he's like a member of QAnon just denying it exactly just denying everything and then like spinning like an even more like unbelievable tale but now Dukes did work as a fight coordinator for uh, Bloodsport I mean he was a martial artist I mean he I think he was just like a Rex Kondo guy just like owned his own dojo um what's also kind of funny a couple other things from uh Tall tales here from Frank Dukes. Uh, he says the reason, because the uh, uh, Johnson, who wrote the LA Times story, is like, well, can I see your ceremonial sword? I mean, you showed me the trophy. But let me see the sword. You, you won the sword from uh, the Kumite. Let me see it. He's like, well, I can't. I sold it to try to buy freedom for a boatload of orphans who escaped from Philippines pirates. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Duke said many of these uh, orphans reside in the U.S. and are loyal enough to take lives for Dukes, okay? Oh, so he's got his own team of Filipino assassins. <laughs> Filipino assassins, yeah. And then this is my favorite Frank Duke story, which I do wish was true. Uh, he okay. stopped the plot to assassinate Steven Seagal. I wish this was real too. I hate Steven Seagal. <laughs> I, I, hate, I actually hate Steven Seagal with like a, an intense burning passion. Well, I wish he would have gone through with it. So Dukes claims that he was offered $25,000 to kill Steven Seagal. Could he have killed him? Easily. I mean, the guy yeah. knows the death touch. Easily. Could have just wiped the floor with him. But uh, Dukes didn't do that. Instead, uh, he stopped the assassination attempt by telling the police. However, this is, this is odd. There's no records that exist of Dukes reporting anything like this to the police or of him even attempting to snuff out Seagal. Like, there's no records of this at all. I have a great Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal story to tell you on the Patreon. It's probably <laughs> my favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme story. Now, this actually did happen to uh, Frank Dukes. Now, this story actually did happen, and it was verified by several witnesses who were there at the incident. 1993... Frank Dukes attended the second annual Draca Martial Arts Trade Show in Los Angeles, where he had a confrontation with a kickboxer named Zane Frazier. Now, Dukes had previously hired Frazier to teach several classes for him, and Frazier alleges that Dukes never paid him. So that's why the <gasps> confrontation happened. And a fight ensued no, no. with Frazier knocking that motherfucker out. Oh, <laughs> this is like, laying. right, as much as I love Glenn Danzig. <laughs> Uh, that moment where he gets punched, you're a bit like, yeah, you had it coming, mate. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Yeah, no, yeah, the, a fight like ensued and Frazier um, ended up coming out victorious, knocked out Dukes. And UFC Amazing. founders, Rory and Gracie and Art Davey witnessed the fight and then offered Frazier, because of this, a position in the first UFC tournament. Like the oh, first, no U Yeah, the first uh, UFC for UFC one or whatever. Um, Dukes maintains that Frazier sucker punched him while wearing brass knuckles. Yeah, whatever, mate. Which... No, he didn't. <laughs> he totally fucking got you. Which no one else seemed to see. No one saw the brass knuckles. Um, so Dukes, there's a couple other uh, uh, fun facts about Dukes. He was not impressed by Van Damme's athletic ability. So when he was the coordinator, he was a coordinator on a couple movies. He was a coordinator on, uh, uh, he was the fight choreographer for Bloodsport. Lionheart and a movie called Only the Strong, which I've never seen that one actually. But yeah, he said, um, you know, Van Damme competed as a world class kickboxer. But during his career, Van Damme, 18 knockouts, 18, 56 with Frank Duke, so definitely a disparity there. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Duke said that didn't really do him much good with training for blood sport. So when Dukes met Van Damme, Dukes realized Van Damme wasn't very flexible, he was very stiff. He had a karate Is he background. Joking? That's what he said. He said uh, he couldn't do a forward roll when I first got him. He freaking He's landed fucking... on his head in front of all my students. Don't you be coming for my Jean? I have fallen in love with Jean Claude Van Damme this last week. Don't you be coming for my Jean Claude the Frank? He was a ballet dancer. Jean Claude Van Damme did ballet for five years. You're telling me this man can't do a forward roll? Yeah, he can forward roll into my heart. That's what he's Jean not a do. he's not a mixed martial arts badass trained in ninjutsu. Okay. That won a secret tournament in the Bahamas. And so uh, Frank Duke said, you try to get him to do a judo throw. He couldn't even throw anybody. He was good at boxing. He was good, you know, he was good at stiff karate moves, but that's about it. But Duke's trained Van Damme for three grueling months, and it paid off. I mean, Bloodsport, the fight scenes in Bloodsport, 
How many splits Incredible. is that one doing? I think he does at Incredible. least seven pairs of splits. Now, this is interesting. Dukes challenged Van Damme to a fight on the set. So apparently uh, they got into a disagreement about how a fighting sequence would go down. So Dukes was like, let's go to the roof. Let's go to the roof right now. At but rather set. than throwing punches in the roof, Dukes walked to the ledge of a 60-story building. And Van Damme and his entourage showed up. Duke stand, stood on an I-beam, hundreds of feet in the air, and he did a jumping spin heel kick, <laughs> which made Van Damme laugh. Duke's made his point. Van Damme bought him dinner. Badass. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then Jean-Claude and his entourage laughed. <laughs> they, they clapped. And then, what a fucking liar, man. So 1996, uh, Dukes' book, The Secret Man, came out here. And uh, he claimed that this is where he claimed that he worked for uh, the CIA, director William J. Casey, who arranged to meet him in a urinal, undisclosed (laughs) urinal, different locations, and recruited him to work on covert missions, including the uh, fuel depot in uh, Nicaragua and the chemical plant in Iraq. Um. Robert Gates, William J. Casey, William J. Casey's deputy successor, said he's never heard of Frank Dukes, nor had anyone else in the CIA. Dukes also named General, General Norman Schwarzkopf and Major General John K. Uh, Singlob as other people that he had personally worked for. They gave him assignments. Both of them denied Dukes' assertions. In fact, Major General Singlob called the book virtually a complete fabrication. And he had his lawyer write to HarperCollins, the company that owned the book, asking for it to be recalled. Now, Soldier of Fortune, this is why uh, Frank sued them, uh, pointed out 10 plot holes in the book, especially the one that Dukes claimed that Casey personally handled the operations in the bathroom and ensured that no one else in the CIA would even know his existence. Um, A CIA spokesman said the book was just utter fantasy, adding that it was really unusual for the CIA to comment on such matters, though Dukes' claims were so ridiculous that they thought it was necessary. I like that. I like that coming out. They also I'm said it was very convenient that. that Dukes would say that Casey was, was his uh, main point of contact with the CIA because Casey was dead and uh, unable to refute know. any of these claims. And this guy's great, too. The Lieutenant Commander Larry Simmons, he wrote a foreword for The Secret Man. And he said, like, later on, um, after reading a few pages of the book, he had been deceived into lending credibility to a fraudulent endeavor. So I think he was approached, and he was like, sure, I'll give me money, I'll write this forward. But then he, I don't think he had actually read the book. And then later on, when he read the book, he's like, what the fuck? And so um, it turns out Lieutenant Commander Simmons had the same literary agent as Frank Dukes and was asked by his agent to write a generic forward for the book. Simmons also posed with Frank Dukes for a photograph, which Dukes featured in his book. And the caption of the photo says, Dukes is talking shop with the SEAL team leader. Simmons denied ever talking shop with Dukes <laughs> and said that Dukes was not an American warrior. He's a con man. He sounds like a total con man. <laughs> Although I, like, I, don't know, I don't know if he's doing it maliciously. I think he's just... He's so deluded. Trump, I just he's think delusional. he's a dreamer. He's delusion. He's, dream. he's completely deluded with his delusions of grandeur. And I think he thinks he's this, this badass. And he's just concocted this entire, he's fabricated this entire backstory. What's funny is uh, um, Alexander McCall, a writer from Fortune Magazine, soldier of Fortune Magazine, said he described the book as a literary laxative. 
<laughs> which I think people have said that about my book. Um, he also criticized a lot of the photographs in the book, which came from Dukes himself. One of these uh, photos shows Dukes in a military uniform with what appears to be like an M16, with a caption saying it was taken in 1983 in a trench. But according to McCall, the rifle is actually an Italian-made 22 long rifle lookalike, which is a low-powered firearm designed for hunting small prey, like rabbits. <laughs> I would have been like, where are the trenches in 1983? Where was there a war trench in 1983, Frank? When uh, McCall, who, is, who wrote the piece in Soldier of Fortune magazine, questioned why the CIA would provide Dukes, their secret operative, with a squirrel rifle... Dukes refused to give any details about the CIA missions to him on the grounds that he and his family would face retribution if he did. So Frank's married. Has, Frank's married someone. Yeah, has he's children. married. Yeah. Oh, my God. I've, just imagine being in the family when your dad is like this. Well, he sued uh, Soldier, of Fortune, or Soldier of Fortune magazine for libel. Lost it. He also sued Jean-Claude Van Damme for $50,000. Not my Jean-Claude. Yes. Apparently, Dukes was paid to write a manuscript uh, for a movie, originally, he was co-writing it with Van Damme. Originally, it was called Enter the New Dragon. And then uh, when Van Damme eventually released the film, it was called The Quest. Duke sued him for breach of contract, saying that he was promised 2.5% of, uh, of the box office gross. Duke's lost the case in 1998 Good. with the jury stating that uh, they found his testimony less incredible including his assertion that there are audio tapes with his agreement uh, with Van Damme. And these audio tapes, unfortunately, were destroyed in 1994 Northridge earthquake. So we, he couldn't produce them, but they were there. Van Damme said just, you get 2.5%. Into the earth's crust. Believe yeah. me, don't believe the lovable rogue Jean-Claude. I, I would vote for Jean-Claude. Well, he appealed the verdict, but the appeal was dismissed a year later. Ultimately, the Where's trial outcome... Where's he getting outcome, this money from? I think he just said, I mean, he owned his own businesses. It's a lot of money to lose. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, he just, uh, he received a story by credit. Right. Which end. is pretty much, like, if you think, but if you think about it, somewhat metaphorical to his life, it's all like a story. It's story, the story by Frank Dukes. It's not the story of Frank Dukes. That's true. It's a story by, you know, um, Frank often talks about his rights when discussing blood sport, but there's never really any proof of his rights. The actual agreements do exist, and none of it say that he gets anything. He had no rights. He didn't. I mean, uh, the uh, the the canon. Uh, Frank Cannon claims that Frank sold all the rights to Mark DeSalle, and DeSalle hired Sheldon Leditch to write the original story in the screenplay. Frank Dukes has zero rights to blood sport. Good. I mean, like he just sold his, be life story. his legacy. Yeah. Well, the thing is with Dukes, most people dismiss all of his claims completely. But others say there might be grains of truth, elements of truth to some of the stories. You know, um, one of its, you know, people say uh, that Dukes exaggerates, lies, maybe he entertains, you know, in his memoir. But the story might not be completely false. I mean, he might have won some kind of tournament. He was definitely a martial artist. I think he might have just exaggerated whatever tournament he fought in. Oh, yeah, I think he did. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the thing. I mean, he might have, he made, up, he made up these stories. But the Kumite, I mean, you could look at it. It does exist. 
it's more of an endurance fight. So, I mean, there, there, I think there might be some elements of truth to what he's saying, but it's completely exaggerated and embellished. It's like what I said before, if he'd have written these as a series of like books about this character that he'd named after himself, they would have, they would have been amazing. And he probably would have sold a lot of pictures and he would have made a lot of money, but he's got his ego involved. And I think that's from his depressing childhood. Well, what I wonder though, I mean, if he's so convinced that these stories are true, then why would he... You know why he pressed ahead with all these like libel lawsuits? I mean, several lawsuits. So I mean, the guy is either completely deluded, which is probably the case, or maybe there are some points that are true to it. Like that's I think that's why some people are like, I don't know if all of his points and all of his assertions should be dismissed completely. In my mind, the guy's a, the guy's like an utter con man. He's a nut. Yeah, no, he's a complete nutter that 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 fabricated his life. I mean, you're, I agree. He shouldn't have written a memoir. He should have written a work of fiction. And did a Yo. series. I would love to go to dinner with this man. I think it probably would end up with me getting like maybe like stand up shouting at him at the end. But I think he would be very entertaining for an evening. I think he should have just been like Frank Duke's Ultimate Badass, Volume 1. Frank yeah. Duke's Ultimate Badass, Volume 2. I got the fastest consecutive knockout record. <laughs> it's just how it's... to lose friends and <laughs> kick them. I could imagine like Van Damme having to actually deal with that guy. I feel very sorry for Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is a very sweet, sensitive soul who I am now completely in love with. And uh, I wish I could go back in that time and protect Van Damme from this monster that is Frank Dukes. Well, he's lucky that uh, Van Damme backed down after seeing that spinning heel kick on the roof because... <laughs> With his entourage, because Jean-Claude Van Damme needs an entourage. Frank Dukes could have ended Van Damme's career at that point. <laughs> anyway, people, uh, if you want to hear more about this story and about the life of Van Damme, you should uh, sign up to Patreon and go check out um, The Overkill this week. Uh, this is episode 829 here, Sick and Wrong. we got some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is the hotline number. Uh, before we get to that, here's a word about our Patreon page. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. No, you lay the mattress, you know, you'll just put down like some toilet paper so it doesn't like create splashback and it doesn't, it can drop nicely onto them. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. You, you put a, you put like a layer of toilet paper like over the water? Yeah, you've laid the mattress and that way you can have, you can also have then a silent shit. So if you're worried about other people hearing you, hearing you just the- laid, you've laid the mattress. I've never heard this. This is yeah. like the pinnacle of British propriety. You know, it's crazy to me. Yeah. Well, when you go for a shit in an American toilet, does everyone not within a three mile radius hear you because of how much fucking water it is? is it, does no, it not create like a mini kind of like effect? No, it's the grunting usually. <laughs> we, eat a, we eat a lot of food. There's a lot of stuff to pass. It's all that corn syrup, baby. Yeah, there's a lot of grunting. But also, I mean, it's, yeah, we're not making like a little fucking, a little you know, mattress, a little a shit bed. net. Like that's a catch it. Like, like it's like yeah. a trapeze dangling from your anus <laughs> and falling like, yeah, it's like fucking, this is like Cirque du Soleil, basically. You ever see that? The water one? It is, but. You know, it's but with shit, mate. shit to soleil. Shit. I'm is. not saying everyone lays a mattress. <laughs> I'm just saying that some people this... wink, wink. 
I wonder if a lot of British women do this. This must be a British woman thing. For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. Don't you ever... So we got a few phone calls to get to here. 323-522-4032. Um, this other one's a bit a, a bit overdue here. It's a day late and a dollar short. Just got this one. A holiday message here from Tommy. It's about a month late. Month and a half. Anyway, uh, here's a holiday message. Hey, up D and Kate. Uh, just dropping you a call from uh, the north of England. I heard that you're from up north Wait. east, Kate. I'm living in uh, Homebridge, Humfirth, Yorkshire. Uh, I shithole? Uh, yeah, I would say 99.9% of Yorkshire is all shithole. He will agree with me. He probably... Humf- Humford? Humford? Humbridge. 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 Got, get my Yorkshire tea. Yeah, he's it's a shithole. Shithole. All right. Confirmed. Yeah. Yeah, I was just phoning up. I'm a bit late in for the uh, for the Christmas show, but uh, I just thought I'd drop a late Christmas one. Um, I was at home last Christmas. Uh, my mum's not very well. She got multiple sclerosis, but I was like, fuck it. I'll take over the cooking, cooking for 12 people, my grandma, oh. my uncle and aunties. And uh, I woke... God, I don't even want to know what he was cooking. You couldn't do that. Let's Hell put no. it like that. Everyone would get 12 grey-coloured smoothies. That's that's what the whole table would get, and they'd like it. Or they could get no the fuck like out of my it. house. <laughs> you know, 11.30 in the morning, took over all the cooking, honey glazing the carrots, all that shit. And then um, I didn't realise that I was drank like nearly two and a half bottles of uh, Veuve Cliquet champagne. Ooh. So I'm there. Veuve Cliquet, that's a good, that's a good champagne. Yeah, it's very nice. I that's do it, like yeah. champagne. That's not bad at all. And that's a that's a that's good. That's pricey. It's a, it's a pretty good champagne. That's so what we... happens though. You can't cook and not drink wine. If you cook and you don't drink alcohol, I I don't know how you create your meals. Yeah, I was about to ask, like when because you're you're a good chef, you're a good cook. When you cook, do you get like half cut or do you get like fully cut? You, the cooking starts with the opening of a wine. So you get wrecked. So by the time the meal's done. What if it's like something that's like a roast or something that takes hours? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like you'll to do that you, after you've done all that, I'll say once the cooking really starts and you know you're going to be intensively in the kitchen for at least an hour or more, you open the wine then. See, I just poured Jameson right into the smoothie. <laughs> and <it's... laughs> that's why you're such a happy fellow. That's what people say about you. D. Simon, the happiest fellow. Damn good smoothie. Drinking <laughs> these bottles of champagne, cooking, glazing, seasoning all the food, and um, went outside for a quick cigarette. And I was like, "Oh my god, I've got the best fucking joke in the world!" It just came to me. So I walk back in the house. I start plating up the food, carve the, carve the chicken, carve the turkey, and then I'm like, "You know what? Start plating everyone up." Twelve people on the table: my grandma, my auntie Maria, and her new partner. And I was like, you got enough, you know, we got enough potatoes and then the broccoli comes out, grilled, etc. And then I walk up, I'm still in my sweats, pissed out my face. And uh, I walk up to the table and I say to everyone, including my grandmother, because I'm pissed out my face, I just walk up, pull my sweatpants down, slap my cock on the table. And I'm like, yo, does anybody want stuffing? 
course, my brother sat there staring at me and just turned around and says, Tommy, I can't even fucking save you with this one. Family kicked me out, fucking made me the uh, made me eat my... <laughs> Tommy's a legend. That is legendary. Wow. I mean, also, we... that's totally a thing that would happen in Yorkshire, but in the real life version, I know his grandma turned around and was like, Tommy, I've had that a million times. I don't want it on Christmas. <laughs> Get your stuffing off the goddamn table. <laughs> no, that would have been great. Man, you should have recorded that. He was pissed, though, but I mean, he should have recorded that. I love the fact he's just got his fucking cock out in front of grandma. So just, Yorkshire, man. I love the fact that he like spent all day cooking for everybody and doing all this and then just whips his cock out right at the table. You know what else I like is also very Yorkshire. So throughout all of last Christmas, even though you could meet up, even though like Boris has been having millions of parties, there was like a nationwide uh, pretty much disclaimer that said, Please keep your gathering small at Christmas. Let's not spread the COVID. And these guys are in Yorkshire going, 12 of us in the fucking room. Come on, guys. I love how he's outside. I love how he's outside um, smoking a cigarette. And he's just like, I got the best joke of all time. I'm going to get me no (laughs) bow. He just like walks out. like, you want some stuffing, Grandma? What he should have done is put it in like side, like the turkey kind of. I'm not saying fuck the turkey, but like kind of made it like a, a crevice inside the turkey, taken it out to the table and been like he's going to cut it. But really, he could just like pull it open and his cock's inside. <laughs> Did a uh, drunk dad ever do this at like the Christmas dinner? No, uh, drunk dad was like, even though drunk dad could be wild at times, he never got his cock out and asked any of his children <laughs> if they wanted stuffing. What What do you think your mom would have said? Like, would she have been like, go to your room? Well, well, my mom hadn't seen his dick since probably 1987. So I think she would have been like, oh, that's what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never get to, I never get got to experience anything like this at any family gathering. Wait, you never saw the rabbi's dick? Did he no, the rabbi never like... pulled his dick out. What about when he was doing the the brisses? Was he not stroking his own as he was taking over? <laughs> he was taking the taking the tips. Uh, <laughs> no, he he was the one that uh, that actually did the cutting. It's the boil. The rabbi directs it. He likes it. He, I thought the rabbi he does the countdown. The, the rabbi does the countdown. The boil sucks the blood. <laughs> um, but no, I've had, no one's ever pulled their dick out. There's been like uh, arguments and things like that, but I, I don't really... think he should have got kicked out. Personally, I would have been laughing my head off and been like, "You daft bugger, go back in there and finish finish cooking our dinner." If but... it was my brother that did this, I would have been crying. I'd have been laughing so hard. Because yeah. think about this: you're at a fucking family dinner. It's got to be torturous. And next thing you oh, know, yeah, here's this like uh, brief moment of levity. Oh, God, it would have been amazing. Your pissed that. brother coming in and asking anyone if they wanted stuff in. Pull that... his dick out in his sweatpants. I don't have <laughs> Snapchat, but in that tiny fr- fragment window, I would download Snapchat and send it to everyone I knew. Observatory, <laughs> and yeah, I wasn't invited back this year. By the way, you're totally wrong about the QAnon stuff. It's all happening. It's all real. The Jews are trying to rule the world. Peace. Love the show. Not listened to you for years. Miss Wackley. Yorkshire. I love that at the end. It's like, not surprised the guy wearing sweatpants that whipped his dick out at the Christmas dinner in front of grandma believes in QAnon. It's Yorkshire, mate. I'm not, I'm not slagging off all of Yorkshire. I'm just slagging off this one man in Yorkshire. I didn't know QAnon was a big English thing. I thought it was mostly just nutter Americans. 
Yeah, to me, like if anyone in England said they believed in QAnon, I'd just be like, you didn't, you didn't finish school, did you? Well, I just thought it was an American because because it doesn't surprise me that Americans would believe that. But I figured like yeah. English people would be a little bit more sensible. Tally ho, governor. We read the Guardian you know? every day here. Blah, pass me the Financial Times. Kip this for breakfast. But I didn't think that like I I can't imagine. I don't personally know too many English people. They'd think that Tom Hanks is like the leader of a pedophile ring with Hillary Clinton, you know? I I, I do not, like, I am not friends with anyone who does not think that Tom Hanks is beloved. So if anyone has a bad word to say about Tom Hanks, I just walk away. I walk away. Well, I think Tommy, who pulls his dick out in front of Grandma <laughs> at the Christmas dinner, would feel otherwise. Anyway, thank you, Tommy, for the holiday message, man. That was hilarious. I haven't laughed that, that hard during a call in a long time. So I appreciate that. Um, speaking of perverts, guess who uh, called in? Hey, it's Tony. Um, that bar I talked about in yes. the last call, that was destroyed along with most all of them in the volcano. Although oh, shit. new ones have since arisen from the slime. And as far as the ranking of the girls go, uh, I'll do that another time. But as you... Wait, wait. He, he's referring to uh, that he called in about some titty club in uh, the Philippines, right? Yeah, there's a, a slew of those bars. Well, Is this the, the one town. that had the Jesus picture in the background? Yeah, and the, the girls were doing, yeah. weren't they doing like tricks and stuff like that? I think they're all doing something. Tricks along this anyway, trip. there's a town called Goa that's just like a sleazy Goa. town in the Philippines. And I'm sure Marshall Island Tony. Is probably has like a, I don't know, probably like a citizen well, of honor or something. Well, Zeus took care of this town yeah. with He's like the much mayor. needed um, cleansing fire of volcano lava. <laughs> I think he's the mayor of this town. But here, it's it's all yellow on the inside. Anyway, I want to tell you more about the first time I went to the Philippines. Yeah. Before I went, some friends of mine had just come back. They said, you got to stop by this bar called the Happy Hooker. Um, ask for Amelia. It's a great it's a name. Fun. I still remember her name because same as my grandmother's. So anyway, when I went to that bar, and the first thing that impressed me was their motto was lots of class, all low. So I thought, definitely going to like this place. And went in, um, told them who sent me. And they're like, well, just wait. Amelia will be here in a little while. So I'm sitting there having a drink. And suddenly there's like seven girls on me. And they got me pushed on my back on top of these bar stools. And Amelia's on top of me. Oh, he's being attacked. Lots of class, all low is totally going to be my, uh, my autobiography title. <laughs> I think it should be the happy hooker. He's getting mobbed by sluts here. Wow. I bet he looked it. It's the happiest day of his life. I should tell that coworker of mine to go over to the Philippines. Probably to enjoy the happy it. hooker. Yeah. Nice I wonder if they had shirts. I would definitely buy a shirt of a happy oh, hooker. Oh, the happy hooker. Yeah. Totally. In my face. I, I sent a picture of them. And she's like, you know, I fucked Timmy. I fucked, you know, naming my friends. I'm 19 at the time. So, of course, I'm doing a lot better than just a chub. And her friends are down no checking that out. And I think if I hadn't already had a case of yellow fever, I definitely had headed after that. <laughs> Although uh, I did piss off Amelia one night. Isn't that what you call COVID? <laughs> the yellow fever. <laughs> uh, she's not really that racist. I'm lying. Not really. There, there were a lot of rats there. You often could see them running out from under the bars and restaurants. And um, someone must have found a nest in that bar one day because they're passing around these these baby rats, you know, pink little disgusting things. And Amelia takes one, pulls down her shirt, puts it up to her nipple, pretends she's nursing it. 
And <coughs> I was drunk, and I hate rats. And seen it up you know, next to that beautiful titty kind of pissed me off. So um, I grabbed it, threw it on the floor, and um, made an instant baby rat pancake with my foot. No, Marshall, Anto- this is the most depraved thing he's ever done. Wow. He, he just I knew I know he grew up a on a rat farm. Baby. So rats, they're actual vermin to farm. They are actual vermin to farmers. But when I see, like, you know, when my cat brings me a little mouse, I just think, oh, that poor mouse. Your cat I'm, like a ci- I'm a city the person, Martin. Your cat, like, eviscerates the mouse. It's like He does guts, then eviscerate it. Yeah, its guts are, like, spread all over your courtyard. Wow, I can't be just, wait, you, you knocked it out of her hand and just stomped on it. How yeah. vicious. That's terrible. This is, this is one of the most depraved things that he's ever done. I don't know what's worse, the 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 the, uh, the stripper nursing the baby rat. That's gross. Or her uh, or uh, Marshall and Tony flattening it with a shoe. I love it. I love Amy Winehouse. But can you remember that iconic video of her and Pete Doherty um, when they were like just high on smack and crack, and they have baby mice that I I don't know. It was like a from a pet mouse. And it, this was like a viral video at the time in the mid 2000s. And they're showing it to the camera and they're just both their like pupils are like dinner plates. They are, <laughs> they are in a different planet and they're holding up these tiny baby transparent I don't think I've ever seen that. Mouses. What were they doing? Did, would she, did she have a bunch, like, a, like a rat's nest in her house? In her hair? Well, in her hair. <laughs> yeah, no. No, there was like, I think he had a pet mouse and it had given birth. And they were just holding up the babies to the camera. And they're like, look how cute these babies are. Blah, 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 blah. And then it. Peter got involved because Peter were like, you shouldn't touch them. Peter should get involved with uh, Marshall and Tony right now. God, I can't believe he crushed the rat. I wonder what what ha- that must be a common thing in the Philippines. Actually, I, I would never, I would never eat anything in any of these places. Although I probably wouldn't eat. I think that's being a bit anyway. racist, dude. No, but if, if there's rats running around the bar, I'm not going to eat food there. You live in Los Angeles. How close do you think you are to a rat right now? It's probably a rat looking at you from outside your window. It's probably reading a newspaper, I, waiting for you to notice it. If I see a rat. In you a restaurant like a or a bar. No, I'm not going to order food there. I'm, just, well, I'm, no, like, I'm going to restrain they, myself. But they're everywhere and there's nothing. No, I'm sure they are. But there's also ratings for these restaurants. Like I'm not going to go eat at a place that's like has a C because they have like a rodent problem. I would also suggest that as a man, you should never go to the Philippines by yourself because everyone knows what you're going there for. Yeah, it's, it's like a, if somebody says, I'm going, to the Thai- I'm going to Thailand on a boy's holiday. Everyone knows what you're going there for. It's a sex tourism spot for sure. A hundred percent. And uh, that pissed Amelia off, although not to fear after a few pesos, she loved me again. Long time, <laughs> short time, all the time, any time. Regardless, those were good times. Later. Wow, thank you there, uh, Marshall Island wow. Tony. One from the <laughs> vault there. Yeah, I want to hear more about these these bars. I didn't know there was a, like, a volcano that just like, laid waste to this town. Oh, wait, Goa was destroyed? Yeah, that's what he I said. Thought... He said that whole strip got washed away by a volcano. Oh, wow. Crazy. It, they, is they it must washed have built... away when it's lava? They must have built, built it back up. Guaranteed. It's we not can rebuild. Get... Yeah. I was about the, to say, you're not going to rid yourself of the depravity. Um, well, thank you there, uh, Marshall Island Tony, with another uh, fascinating tale. I love his calls. People call us, take your wrong hotline, 323-522-4032. Um, as we mentioned before, we are doing a, um, we're doing a lot on Patreon these days. And I'm not just trying to like 
goad you into signing up, but you actually do get a lot for uh, just for five bucks. You get a whole second show. So if one show isn't enough, you get a bonus sick and wrong second show on Patreon. And this week it was extra saucy. It was saucy. It was so much fun. Jojo Kelly. <laughs> yeah, Jojo Kelly was on this week. Jay Bone. We, we got to hear all the graphic details about this girl he's dating who is a smelly minge. And I nicknamed her Stinkor from my uh, people might remember the He Man character, Stinkor. But the- didn't he say it was so smelly that he could smell it on her after he had washed? No, he could smell it on him. Like his dick still meant, smelled though, yeah, after he took a shower. Like it was that bad. And the crazy thing about it, and we get into this, you can listen to the story on Second Show. He refused to broach the subject with her. Yeah, I don't get that. I don't get that. He refused to even bring it up. Anyway, find out all the details on Sick and Wrong's second show this week. And also, as we mentioned before, Sick and Wrong Overkill is the goddamn Jean-Claude Van Damme special. Uh, Kate's worked really hard, spent the last 10 days watching 12 Van Damme movies, uh, reading all these facts about Van Damme's life, developing an unhealthy obsession with the uh, muscles from Brussels. So uh, you can hear that. All on the Patreon, patreon.com slash sickandwrong. We really do appreciate you supporting the show. Yes. Also, if you want some Sick and Wrong merch, we do have a T public store. Just go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop and click on the picture of the Pope. Finally here, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. I kind of had to do this. I had to. The song from the montage scene of Bloodsport, Fight yes. to Survive, by an artist, an 80s artist named Stan Bush. This guy wrote a lot of soundtracks for movies at the time. One of his most notable, and people, I guarantee people will recognize this song, was The Touch from uh, the uh, soundtrack of the 1986 animated film Transformers, the sing movie. Sing it. You got to sing it, dude. You got the touch. Da, da, da. You got the power. You got the power. Yeah, no, it's a great song. And this guy, I mean, he wrote Fight to Survive, from the Bloodsport soundtrack, which came out in 1990, that Kate Rambo said is actually, uh, uh, it, it was commercially it's, successful. It's critically acclaimed. Everything I've read about Bloodsport, within the first like paragraphs, everyone just talks about like how atmospheric and great the soundtrack is. And when I'd read that, I was like, the next time I rewatch Bloodsport, I'm going to try and listen to the soundtrack more as opposed to just being fucking impressed by the amount of times that Jean-Claude Van Damme does the splits. Stan Bush, what a great American name. There can only be an American man called Stan Bush. Mr. Bush. You he know, fucks. he also wrote uh, Never Surrender, Streets of Siam, and Fight for Love from the Kickboxer movie. So Kickboxer was kind of like, that precluded Bloodsport. It was like Bloodsport the Zero. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that on page. <laughs> and then he wrote Fight to Survive, which was the theme from Bloodsport. So we're going to end the show here with Stan Bush's Fight yes. to Survive. People will be back next week, episode 830. Till then, take it sleazy.
was trying to find like a good Van Damme related song. Well, that's why I'm playing the kids at the end of Overkill. Because they're my favorite Belgian band. There's a hundred Belgian bands. You could play well, um, Belgian. I wanted Panic. Some... Panic Baby. That's a great Belgian No, but I wanted something that was specific, like a song from a movie. Like, what's the montage from Bloodsport? Um, oh, Kumite. 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 But there is a song. There is like a one of those. Isn't there like a oh, there rise is. up? You know, there's one of those you're the like, best. Yeah, around. Right, right. There's one of those. There's got to be. Absolutely, yeah, there is. You know, Joe sent, showed me a video yesterday of uh, Van Damme, not even that long ago, a couple years ago, doing the splits between two moving semis. Have you seen that? It was a Volvo commercial. It's a Volvo commercial, <laughs> and he's like the semis move apart. He's just doing the fucking splits. No, but I'll look it up. Going backwards, the trucks yeah, are backwards. going backwards. Uh, there's so many fucking amazing quotes from Van Damme. I'll, I'll read out like some ones I'm not gonna use. Oh, this is the this is not. Remember when, we, when I was uh, when I was younger, we were watching uh, Van Damme was on Conan, Conan O'Brien or, or one of those Letterman or something, and they were like, "Hey, how about can you do a kick for us? Can you like do us a thing?" And he was like, "My jeans, very tight." <laughs> This is a this is a genuine Van Damme quote. When I walk across from my living room from my chimney to my window, it takes me ten seconds. But for a bird, it takes one second, and for oxygen, zero seconds. That's really deep. Wow. This is the song I was thinking of. Remember this? (laughs) Right. Kumate. 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 I don't know if I can end the show with this. It's so bad. Frank Dukes. 